0: As we think about Scripture today, we think about Palm Sunday, we think about Easter, and so on. I want to interact with a portion of Scripture, becoming from Mark chapter 14. And I realize today I might concentrate more on my notes than some weeks. And part of the reason that may be true. It's for the simple reason there's some things that I want to say and I want to say them in a given way and I don't want to deviate from that. So if you think I stick a little more to my notes and sometimes, you know, that's by design. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you that in your justice You remain just by providing Christ as a penalty for our sin. And then you can justify us. As we consider the life of Christ as He went to the cross, we want to be open and sensitive to hearing, understanding, some of what was involved in Christ and what he has done. It's in his name I pray, amen. It was in the garden Jesus said, Abba Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What a profound, profound irony Gethsemane conceals. For when Jesus feels most excluded from God's presence, he is in fact closest to God's will. Gethsemane is the prelude to Calvary. For in the valley beneath the city, Jesus allows his soul to be crucified. On a hill above the city, he relinquishes his body. As we ponder Easter, let's turn to Mark. 14, 32 through 34. 32 through 42, I'm sorry. Up to this point in Mark's gospel, Christ's identity, his character, his being, has been clearly revealed. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He's the perfect once-for-all sacrifice that is going to be slain. Jesus is about to go to his trial and crucifixion. As we come to Mark 14, verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. James Edwards says in his commentary in Mark, In the Last Supper, Jesus spoke of the bread and wine as representations of his body and blood poured out for many the relinquishing, or relinqu, relinquishment of Jesus' body on Gagatha, however, depends upon the prior surrender of his will to the Father. That surrender took place not on a hill outside of Jerusalem, but in a valley beneath it. According to Mark, the decision to submit to the Father's will causes Je- Jesus greater internal suffering than the physical suffering on Golgotha. The cross is a matter of heart before a matter of the hand, a matter of the will before it is empirical reality. End of quote. Jesus is in the garden. The garden of Gethsemane being outside of Jerusalem, you see if you look closely, the Garden of Gethsemane, right here listed, is where Jesus would have gone with his disciples to pray. Again, another drawing just to illustrate where the garden would be. And apparently it was commonplace for Jesus to go there with his disciples. Luke chapter 22 talks about their going there often, along with John chapter 18. So in the passage that we're considering, we find that Jesus is going to the garden. His identity, his character, his being has already been revealed to this point in Mark's gospel. He'd predicted that he was going to be rejected. He was going to be disowned. We find the 11 are also with Jesus. And keep in mind that the 11 at this point in time are proud, arrogant, and self-confident. Because in verse 27 of Mark 14, it says, Jesus told them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you in the Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the others said the same. Proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, we will not deny the Lord. We find that Peter, James, and John, apparently he took the 11, the eight were left one place, he took Peter, James, and John, the inner group, and he went a little further. He left those three, and then himself would have gone a little beyond that. And keep in mind that as he takes Peter, James, and John, that Peter is the one, as we just read, that said, I will never deny you, Lord. It was James and John who wanted to be in his right hand and his left hand in eternity. Eight, three, and Jesus. And it is in that context that he says to Peter, James, and John in verse 34, or verse 33, before he says to them, he is deeply distressed and troubled. And the idea behind deeply distressed is to be amazed, to be awestruck, to be alarmed. His soul is troubled. It means to be deeply distressed. And then he says to the three, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Overwhelmed is to be burdened with grief. To despair unto death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Stay here and be attentive. Stay here and be vigilant. Stay here and be circumspect. Withdrawing from the three, Jesus collapses on the earth in prayer, in the ordeal, or in prayer that the ordeal might be avoided. Nothing in all scripture compares to Jesus' agony and anguish in Gethsemane. Neither the laments of the Psalms, nor the brokenhearted Abraham as he prepares to sacrifice Isaac, nor David's grief at the death of his son Absalom. Luke speaks of Jesus sweating as it were, great drops of blood that fell to the ground. The suffering of Gethsemane left an indelible imprint on the early church, according to Hebrews 5. The grim reality of Gethsemane is a guarantee of its historicity. We can scarcely imagine the early Christians, and especially Mark, who accentuates Jesus' divine authority, inventing a story of such torment. The very torment provides a sad clue to Jesus' understanding of his impending death. Why, we may ask, is Jesus so assailed by the prospect of his death? Surely we know individuals who face death with greater composure and courage than Jesus. Did not Socrates greet death as a friend and a liberator to a better life? Did not the Stoics preach serene resonation to fate? Why does Jesus, who has foreseen his death and marched resolutely to Jerusalem to meet it, now kind of back off before it? The answer must be that Jesus is aware of facing something more than simply his own death. In 1045, he speaks of the purpose of the Son of Man, to give his life as a ransom for many. That was the objective description of his purpose. Now we hear the subjective experience of it. In Gethsemane, Jesus must make the first payment of that ransom, to will to become the sin bearer for humanity. Jesus stands before the final Consequence of being the servant of God, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. It's one thing, as fearful as it may be, to answer for our own sins before a holy and almighty God. Who can imagine what it would be like to stand before God Almighty, to answer for every sin, crime, and act of malice and injury? and evil in the world. In submitting to the Father's will of bearing the sin of many, interceding for transgressors, Jesus necessarily experienced an abandonment and darkness of cosmic proportions. The worst prospect of becoming sin-bearer for humanity is that it spells out complete alienation from God, an alienation that will shortly echo above the desolate landscape of Calvary. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to ponder for a minute, Christ, for an eternity past, having intimate communication with his Father. And that now being broken. been through grief with a lot of older people been married 50 or 60 years and they miss their mate very very greatly here is jesus looking at the cross an eternity past of intimacy with his father hard to even register in our thinking or comprehend not his own mortality, but the horror of identifying with sinners so fully as to become the object of God's judgment against sin. It is this that overwhelms Jesus' soul to the point of death. So he goes a little further and he falls to the ground and he prays that the hour might pass from him. prayer is a term for communicating with God a general term for communicating with God and his prayer is Abba, Father everything is possible for you take this cup from me stop right there and think take this cup from me the father's obvious answer was no. And Jesus says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Only in Mark's gospel does Jesus call God Abba, a term of intimacy, a term of trust, a term of affection. The other Three Gospels simply say, Father. Abba recollects Jesus' original Aramaic, displaying an intimacy, a boldness, a simplicity in address to God that was not characteristic of Jewish prayers. Seldom, if ever, did rabbis presume such intimacy with God. Abba provides a crystal clear clear. View into Jesus conscious of being God's Son and of His willingness to drink the bitter cup of suffering as inescapable consequences of his complete trust in his Father. Gethsemane presents us with a uniquely human interplay between the heart of the Son and the will of the Father. The prayer of Jesus is not the result of calm absorption into an ever-encompassing divine presence, but an intense struggle with the frightful reality of God's will and what it means to fully submit to it. The fundamental humanness of Christ as in the prayer is evident. Take this cup from me. We have a human looking at the cross Take this cup from me. This is a prayer for God not to strike the shepherd. It is possible for Jesus to fulfill God's will in all ways but one. Or is there some other way? Perhaps with Isaac, the sacrifice can be adverted. Even though the arm of Abraham is raised with the dagger ready to plunge. The plead of Jesus suggests that he is genuinely tempted to forsake the role of a suffering servant. He's fully man. He's being tempted. Nevertheless, his will to obey the Father is stronger than his desire to serve himself. Throughout his ministry, he has disavowed every exit ramp from the pathway of suffering servanthood, including the temptation to remain with Moses and Elijah in glory in Mark chapter 9. His will conforms to his knowledge of God's will to undergo the baptism, to accept the cup, to meet the hour, not what I will, but your will be done. Reflect on the distress of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, and the nature of his prayer. Christ asked that the cup be taken away because he was truly man, as well as God. We must realize that his request for another way came from two things. First, it was a cup full of sin, Did he see all the brutality of a thousand killing fields? All the whoring of earthly civilizations? The blaspheme, the profanity, a cup brimming with jealousy, hatred, covetousness, which he must drink. And Jesus recoiled. Second, he saw that it was a cup full of judgment. As sin-bearer, he became the object of the Father's holy judgment against sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. The drinking also made him a curse. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung in a tree. Gazing into the cup, did Jesus see hell open for him as he staggered? It is no wonder that we see blood like sweat and tears, and we hear him crying out for deliverance. It is no wonder as we read in Luke that the Father sent an angel to strengthen him. In spite of all this anguish, there was unconditional submission. Doing the Father's will had been his supreme concern in life. Coming of age, he said, didn't you know that I must be in my Father's house? Early in his ministry, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We also read, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but do the will of him who sent me. No one takes it from me, that is his life, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Such supreme concern with doing the Father's will accumulated in this amazing act of submission. And the writer of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 5, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey. Jesus offered up petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. In the greatest display of obedience that will ever be known, Jesus took the full cup of man's sin. And God's judgment looked, shuddering in, in, into its depth, and in an act of his will, drank it all. What was it that got Jesus through this? From earth's level, it was his life of dependent prayer. There are three recorded incidents of prayer in Mark's gospel. Mark 1. 35, Mark six forty-six, and here. The setting is similar in all three of them. It's night, it's solitude, and demonic pressure. And the positioning of the passage at the beginning and in the middle and in the end of Mark indicates that prayer is to be understood as being fundamental to the life of Christ. Without prayer, submitting to his Father, he would have never made it. He prays for an hour. Verse 37 He returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the body is weak. Jesus uses questions quite often as he ministers to people. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Could you not be vigilant for one hour? Remember, Peter's the one who said, I will never deny you. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Peter, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The inner person may be willing. Our desires may be correct. But he says, Peter, the body is weak. So what does Jesus do? Verse 39, once more he went away and prayed the same thing. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What did Jesus do? Jesus went away from the three he watched. And he prayed. He was vigilant. He was talking to his father. He had said to the three, watch and pray. He says to Peter, watch and pray. Why? So that you don't fall into temptation. The reason for watching and praying is because of the temptation. To fall means to enter into or partake of. Apparently Peter needed to watch in prayer, he would fall into temptation. He found them sleeping, but he again wants them to watch and pray. I think we need to understand that Jesus' invitation to invite what you might call the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to be with him in Gethsemane was not because he needed company but because they needed to learn the secret of stealing their lives for service. The scandal of their failure later that night could not be suppressed and underlines the necessity of what Jesus was teaching for the church at large. See, when Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he says, stay here and keep watch. He wanted them to observe his battle. Luke tells them that he even stated the reason, pray that you will not fall into temptation. If they had watched closely and entered into prayer like his, they would have found the strength necessary to make it through later that night. They dozed off despite the noisy combat of the suffering Christ. Jesus desired so much that they would learn from him that in the midst of his unparalleled agony, he returned twice more to look at his three weak followers. Jesus, who strengthened himself through prayer while asking that the hour might pass from him, accepted it, saying, the hour has come. In verse 41, and went out to drink the cup to win the greatest battle that was ever won. The disciples all failed, and significantly Peter, who fell asleep three times, went out to deny his Lord. The same number. Hardly poetic coincidence. But all was not lost. The scandal was to become their salvation because in the years to come, they became strengthened through prayer. And Peter and James died a martyr's death. Now get the flow of the passage. Jesus has gone one hour. He has prayed. He has agonized before his father. If it's possible, or father remove this cup but not my will yours be done he goes back to the three could you not keep watch with me for one hour he goes and he prays another hour praying the same thing he goes back he finds him sleeping again he goes a third time and he prays and that's when he comes back are you still sleeping and resting enough The hour has come. If Jesus is to fulfill his destiny as God's son, the only answer to his prayer will resound in all kinds of accusations and the hammer blows of Calvary against which drug wine will not dull the pain. What profound irony Gethsemane conceals for when Jesus feels excluded from his father's presence, he is fact closest to his father's will. Gethsemane is the prelude to Calvary for in a valley beneath the city, Jesus allows his soul to be crucified. On a hill above the city, he relinquishes his body. You think about the trial of Jesus. You think about the whipping. You think about the cross. He seems to go through that very well. Why? Because he spent three hours with his father. Crying out with loud cries and tears. Submitting himself to the father. The victory was won in the garden. And because he submitted himself to the Father, he could go to the trial, he could go to the crucifixion, because God was strengthening him along the way. He knew he was being submissive to his Father. And because he had watched and prayed, because he was vigilant, he could cry on the cross when he was spread out, It is finished. He watched, he prayed. He went through the temptation and was victorious. The three did not watch. They did not pray. And they went through their trial and denied knowing Jesus. Peter, three times. The unique one is totally surrendered to his father. Father. And prepared for temptation through watching and praying for three hours. He can walk through the temptation victorious. Now, I pose a question in light of what we're discussing. Mark was probably written to the Roman believers. How did the Roman believers hear this text? I'm convicted or convinced of the fact that as you read and understand the background of what the Roman believers are going through, they're being persecuted for their faith. Some are lighting Nero's garden. Some are being thrown to animals. And I think they would hear Jesus saying to them, watch and pray. And when it comes your turn to go to light Nero's garden, you'll go with a confidence Because God will strengthen you. Tomorrow night when it's Charlie's turn to go to the lions. And the next night when it's Arden's. They will walk out resolute and with confidence. That they're living for the eternal. And not for the present. Because they have watched and they have prayed. I think that's the thrust of the passage. How the Romans would have, Roman believers would have heard it. So, a couple applications as we wrap it up. We are in a battle. Peter, James, and John were in a battle. The eight were in a battle. Judas has already gone off. Jesus is in a battle. And every day of Jesus' life was not one of going to the cross. But a lot of life is a battle. The Roman believers were in a battle. The 11, after the resurrection, 10 of them dying before their time. Only John apparently dying a natural death. And he was still, went through some difficulty because of his faith. They were in a battle. It seems like watching and prayer involves open, honest talking with our Heavenly Father in deep confidence concerning the trials we know we will face. This definitely involves surrender to God's will, that is, a passion to obey Him. Open, honest communication with God as we're entering into a temptation gives the victory before the temptation. Tomorrow, many of you will get up, you will go to your job, you will go to school, you will deal with some difficulty, maybe with coworkers, maybe you don't respond well to a teacher, there's other students watch and pray before you enter into that lord i want to obey you i want to have a godly attitude i want to work as on to you i want to study as on to you i want to be kind and christ is my life and you will walk through it because you have watched and prayed ruth and i've been married over 40 years And we've been married long enough to know that we don't get up every morning and say, boy, honey, you just look so great. This is going to be a fabulous day. And we have a fabulous day every day. She's not always right. Nor am I. Lord, I'm a husband today. I want to love my wife. I want to lead my wife. I want to nurture her. I want to cherish her. I don't have the ability to do that. But Christ is my life. Keep me sensitive. I've watched. I've prayed. Ready to be a husband to my wife or Ruth Ann, to me or to you as a husband or a wife. I've been a father for over 40 years. And fathering is not always easy. Kids can try you, and just because kids are older doesn't mean that you don't interact with them. So, Lord, I'm a father today, I'm a mother today. I want to live in light of the fact that Christ is my power. There's going to be some times today where the kids may try me as a mom or a dad and I might be ready to lash out and I might be ready to say things that I shouldn't. Father, I just submit to you. I want to be humble. I want to be gentle. I want to be patient. I want to bear with my children. Watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. There seems to be a parallel. we would already discussed some examples. There seems to be a strong parallel between watch and pray and not entering into temptation. Watch and pray is a preparation. Stop and think is a major factor in why we yield or don't yield to temptation directly related to whether or not we have watched and prayed. Especially when we know the temptation will present itself. I know that there's going to be difficulties at times in family relationships. I know there's going to be difficulty in driving. Every driver doesn't drive the way I think they should. Nor do I drive the way they think, or I drive the way they think I should. There's going to be difficulties on the job. Watch and pray. I know if I turn on the computer, there's some things that will flash across there that will seek to lure me into a path that is not good. Have I watched and have I prayed even before I've gone to the computer? so that I don't enter into temptation. Didn't say avoid the temptation, not entering into it. I'm inclined to think Maybe we don't need as many steps to victory in temptation over worry and fretting and other items if we chose, chose to simply watch and to pray. As a pattern of life. We can celebrate Easter because of the surrender of Jesus in Gethsemane, which allowed him to be crucified on the cross. All of us sitting here this morning, some of us are closer to leaving this world than others. Some of us have many years. Some of us have many, many years. But have we ever watched and prayed concerning our death? and the agony that we might go through the years before death and say, God, there may be physical suffering before my death. But I'm committed, Father, to living with Christ as my life, to having an attitude of joy, and allowing your ministering spirits, the angels and other believers, to go with me through that agony. So that's watching, that's praying. Before we sing together, have you come to faith in this Savior that went to the cross for us? Can you say to him, Abba Father, if not, come to one who expressed such love so that there can be forgiveness. He bore our sin for us. And if you're a believer in Christ, are you committed? Just saying, God, just keep me sensitive in my daily life to watching and to praying. Your choice as to what you do with God's Word. Be you doers of the Word and not hearers only. Let's sing together. Travis?